Stones, Chapter 2. The high point in my love life occurred when I was in grade one, about five seconds before Evie McFadden fell into the Christmas tree. Evie had a wild swirl of red hair, a button nose sprinkled with freckles, and a dimple in the plump flesh above each knee, and I had a crush on her the size of an apartment building. Mrs. Bowles had insisted we all dress up for the Christmas party, so I had on a white shirt and tie, my good pants and real leather shoes with real leather soles. Evie, in a green dress that beautifully set off her fiery hair, was the prettiest girl in the class. I watched, my heart aching as she helped herself to a double-wide piece of chocolate frosted cake and moved near the Christmas tree where she joined a covey of giggling whispering girls. Desperate that she noticed me for once, I walked over to her, held my breath, and, unable to think of anything to say, kicked her in the left shin. The hard edge of my real leather sole went thunk as it struck the delicate white skin of her leg. Evie's face turned scarlet as a paper plate. Sorry, Evie's face turned scarlet as her paper plate dropped to the floor, and she threw back her head, bawling with gale force, gripping her raised shin with both hands as she hopped in a circle on one foot. The moment I heard that enraged bellow, I fell out of love with her. How could such an ear-splitting howl come from my beautiful, refined Evie? How could that awkward, thumping, twirling, red-faced creature be thought graceful? The last trace of romance left me when Evie, still hopping, landed with full force on her own immodestly large piece of cake, slid and collapsed spread-eagle on the scotch pine, the two of them crashing to the floor in a confusion of glass balls, candy canes, Santa Clauses, angels, and tinsel. After that, my love life pretty much went downhill. It wasn't that I didn't like girls or couldn't get along with them. Rosie Tulipano was one of my best friends until she moved away. It was just that I could never figure out what they wanted. I dated once in a while, but nothing long-lasting came of it. I envied guys who smirked casually in the presence of adoring females, confident in their attractiveness, who moved with easy grace and cracked jokes at will. There was that one time when I was in grade 10, when I thought I'd died and gone to heaven. Candy Rowe accepted me as her boyfriend. I couldn't understand why she picked me, but I wasn't going to ask any questions. Candy, yeah, that was her name, was curvy and always smelled of makeup and mints. She spoke with breathy exaggeration, flipping her long hair for emphasis. She hung on me like ivy on bricks, insisting that we meet in the hall between classes where we'd lean on each other, holding hands, nuzzling, and kissing, until the bell went, or until a teacher came along and lectured us on appropriate behavior. It was after almost a week of this bliss that Candy dumped me. She had been using me to make her former boyfriend jealous. He was one of those jocks whose, necks was wa whose neck was wider than his head, and student council vice president. When he came came back to her, she tossed me in the trash like an empty shampoo bottle. Talk about a confidence destroyer. I guess my clouded mood was obvious even to my parents. What's the matter, dear? You look kind of blue, my mother said. Oh, nothing. You probably got dumped, Dad quipped. As a matter of fact, I did. Gareth, sometimes you can be so insensitive, Mom said. Dad's face fell. He held his hands out, palms up. Sorry, Garnet, I was only kidding. I didn't... Uh, maybe I'll just go see what's on TV tonight, he said lamely, leaving the room. Mom shot him a disapproving look as he passed. I stirred my tea some more. So what happened? 
Mom asked gently, do you want to talk about it? I did get dumped. Again. I see. I just wish that I was attractive, I said, like some of the other guys. Mom took a sip of her tea. She seemed to be thinking something over. Then she said, you don't know, do you? You really don't. Know what? You are attractive. No, no, don't give me that look, she said quickly. I know what you're thinking. This is the part where mom comes along and boosts my flattered ego by telling me I look like a movie star. But it's the truth. You're not a movie star, but you're a good-looking young man. You're tall, you have a nice face, and you have a cute butt. Mom, for okay, okay. Sorry, it's the truth, though, she added. The corners of her mouth rose in a devilish smile. You're prejudiced. You're my mom. You have to say that. If you're right, I wouldn't be such a loser with girls. You want the truth, Garnet? There's more to it than looks. You are attractive, and you're a nice person, but you're kind of shy. You hold back. And girls, well, most of them, the ones your age, are drawn to boys who are, or seem, confident and self-assured. Girls mistake that quality for inner strength. Confidence and strength are sexy. The conversation was a little embarrassing, but I thought over what she had said for a few minutes. It seemed to fit. Most girls at school went after the jocks, the jokers, the rebels, the ones who seemed to know what they were doing. I had never thought about how I must appear to other people, never looked at myself from someone else's point of view. Who was this guy, Garnet Havelock? And what was he like? I wasn't too happy about the answers that came to mind. Although I had been a problem student for my first three years, I wasn't a rebel, a guy who got busted for smoking up in the washroom, for fighting or stealing someone's wallet from the locker room. I wasn't an athlete, that was for sure. And, although school school was pretty much a joke to me, I wasn't a joker. Why would anyone be attracted to me? I was like a shadow. I guess I'm kind of a nice guy, but a goof like Dad. I said, meaning nothing negative. Don't kid yourself, Garnet. Your dad is one sexy man. Dad? Yes, your dad. Haven't you noticed the way women... Well, stupid question, of course, you haven't. But women find your father very attractive, for all kinds of reasons, believe me. And you have a lot of his qualities. I laughed, including a cute butt. Now you're getting it. Listen, Garnet, try not to be discouraged. Don't chase after empty-headed females who get all twittery when the football player walks by. You'll do okay. Just try to be patient. After candy, I guess I became cynical in spite of Mom's attempt to buck me up. I didn't trust girls, or my own feelings for that matter. And the more I thought about it, the less I believed in love. At least that was what I told myself. The relationships on TV and in the movies always seemed brief and intense and entirely physical. The kind of mutual exploitation. The people loved each other, for a while anyway, but they didn't seem to like each other. Their idea of of commitment was as long as it works for me, and at school it was as long as you make me look good. The whole thing was too confusing. So I wasn't exactly thrilled when Mr. Paulson, our English teacher, announced that weekly great debate topic, resolved that love at first sight is a hoax. What does hoax mean? Someone shouted. Paulson was a nice guy, but not too good at controlling a class. Ask Garnet, someone else said, getting a laugh. A con, a scam, a deception, I said. 
Ordinarily, ordinarily, I didn't care what the resolution of the debate was. I barely paid attention during those times, referring to doodle in my notebook, or draw furniture designs, or read a novel. But this time, I was to be one of the speakers. It was my turn, and I needed the marks. Garnet, you and Randy are pro, Paulson shouted over the noise. Well, it could have been worse. I had to prove that love at first sight was phony. I could have ended up conned trying to argue that love at first sight was real, and I was probably the last person in the universe to believe that. Love at first sight? What a crock. The whole notion had probably been dreamed up by some 10th-rate dramatist back in the old days, some loser with a quill pen who needed to move the story along quickly and was too lazy or unimaginative to develop a believable love affair between his characters. So he wrote a scene where the man and woman catch sight of each other across a busy street or a crowded drawing room, and bang, they're in love. Sure. There are all kinds of things wrong with that with this scenario. First, how could you love someone you didn't know? You'd be completely ignorant of their personality. Maybe you just fell over fell head over heels for a total bore. A, a total bore. A real snoozemonger whose idea of excitement was reading the fine print on an insurance policy. Or maybe you were dazzled by a serial killer. How would you have known, with the smell of his latest kill in his nostrils and blood on his hands? Or you were all hot to give your heart to this stranger, who no but nobody told you she liked the same gender you did. Second, love at first sight had to be strictly physical, but everybody said that love was more than that. How could it be if you fell in love without speaking a word? I didn't buy it. Love at first sight was all fairyland and movies and bad novels with pictures on the cover of nurses gazing into the eyes of firm-jawed doctors. I believe in logic, reason, science, hard fact, which was why I disliked poetry. I read a lot, nonfiction and fiction, but never romances. I wanted a good story or information, not dreams and gooey sentiment about moonlight and fields of flowers. And gee, isn't that a lovely sunset? For the debate, the difficulty was to get my thoughts in order so I wouldn't make a fool of myself. I hated talking in front of others, and maybe I could salvage my English mark.